Good morning, Saul Church. Much better. Um, Today's scripture comes from Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Salt Church. Uh, Thank you for joining us for worship. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so excited to kick off a new series for the summer as we look at the parables and stories of Jesus. And uh, we'll continue in the fall. We'll pick up at Romans chapter 6 and finish that book. And here at Salt Church, we love preaching God's word. Uh, Because it has power. It has the power to save. See, when God speaks, there's always a response. When God said, let there be light, there couldn't not be light. Because Jesus and God has the final and ultimate authority. When Jesus showed up and there was this huge uh, huge storm in the Sea of Galilee, he said, be still. And everything went calm. Now, when I think about my words and my power and authority, uh, like I tell my kids to do stuff and they just don't listen, right? There's like no power in it. It's crazy. And if I said uh, on a dark night to look up in the, in the sky and say, let there be light, like nothing's going to happen unless Siri hears me and maybe turns the flashlight on my phone on, right? Uh, or if I say to a hurricane, be still, nothing is going to happen. See, the power and authority that Jesus has is on another level compared to human beings and human kingdoms. And so this is why as a church we preach God's word. There's so much power in it, power to bring life, power to change lives. And today we're going to see God's kingdom moves through the power of his word. And so it's no surprise when Jesus, the son of God, arrives on the scene and begins his ministry. He says this over and over. He who has ears to hear, let him here. And church, this matters today because our world is flooded with information. And But today we're going to see that there's really only one message 
in one response that's going to grant us access into this new kingdom. And so I'm going to have two points today. Uh, But before we start, I would love if you guys would join me in prayer. You know, when you preach on a text like this, uh, you realize, wow, am I one of these soils? Am I a hypocrite standing before you today? And so guys, this was a tough sermon to prepare, and God had to do a lot of soul searching in my own heart. So I stand before you uh, just taking hope that Jesus is the only perfect one. Uh, We might all have weeds in our lives, um, but we are thankful that there's a Savior who can remove those from our hearts. So let's pray. Jesus, we love your word. And uh, Lord, when you speak, there is a response. There's power in it to change lives. And Lord, as we look at these soils today, I pray you would give us an understanding that we wouldn't just hear, that we could listen. And Lord, that we could have hope. Uh, Lord, I know all of us in here are probably struggling with some type of temptation, some type of trial, some type of pain. And Lord, the reality is we're all hypocrites at some point. But Jesus, you were the perfect son of God, and we're so thankful for grace. And so, Lord, we stand today in your grace, and we pray that your word would go forth. And Lord, that we could be a church, that we could be a people who bears much fruit for your kingdom and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church. Well, I'm going to look at uh, this first point, which is the purpose of the parables. I'm going to read one more time uh, Luke 8, verses 4 through 10. And it reads this. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower, or like a farmer, he went out with all of these seeds, and he sowed. And some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so from this text, we can see that there are many reasons that Jesus taught in parables. Namely, to fulfill prophecy, that the coming Savior would speak in parables, uh, that he would reveal the secrets of the kingdom to the people, and he would reveal what the king and the kingdom are like, and then for us, how we gain entrance into this new kingdom. And the reality is Jesus could have just showed up and given us a whole bunch of facts and information, right? But I love what Christian musician Andrew Peterson said. He said, if you want someone to know the truth, tell them the truth. But if you want someone to love the truth, tell them a story. And I love the parables. There's these stories about the king and the kingdom. And I think the purpose is that they would get a hold of our heart. And the beautiful thing about the gospel of the kingdom is it's not religion, And it's not just forgiveness of sin. I think a lot of Christians think the gospel is just forgiveness of sin. That's all you get. But there's so much more. Church, there's a kingdom and there's a king. And the beauty of a kingdom over a religion is this. Religion, we say it's a private thing. You should do it in the privacy of your home. Or it's some morals to make you maybe just a little bit of a better person, right? But a kingdom, it invades It conquers. It takes over every area and influence of your life. 
See, the gospel of the kingdom, it's the good news that Jesus came to invade your heart, your mind, your life, your family, your marriage, your workplace, your city, your team, to heal every area of brokenness. The kingdom will touch you socially and affect all of your relationships. It will touch you emotionally and spiritually. It will touch you economically as you'll view money and spend money differently. And it will touch you psychologically and it will renew your mind. See, when, God, when God's kingdom comes, I think what Jesus is sharing here is that you don't get it all now. We still need to wait for a second coming for this kingdom to be complete. But right now we get some of the kingdom. We get this seed, which is God's word, and it will begin the process to take over your entire life. Uh, to give you an example of the difference between a kingdom and a religion is one of my friends. And he grew up going to church a few times. He would consider himself maybe a little bit religion, religious, uh, but he was honestly a sinner. He was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. He was a thief. He was dishonest. He was in terrible debt because he always had to buy these brand new diesel trucks. Uh, and he was known to ruin marriages. He'd even slept with married women. Like really a sinful guy, right? Well, guess what? He got invited to this gospel meeting. And the preacher started to preach and name off all of these different sins. And my friend thought one of his friends tipped off the preacher and told him what all his sins were. And so he was furious. He didn't know that the Spirit of God was at work. And so in his anger, he actually got up to leave this gospel meeting and said, I can't believe they tipped all my sins off to this guy. But in that moment, he sensed this loving call of the Holy Spirit to go forward to this preacher and crown Jesus as king. And in that moment, he gave his life to Jesus and made Jesus his king. And this started this amazing process in my friend's life. Jesus began to touch every part of his life, not just him on Sunday. And guys, it's a miracle. He's married now, and he's extremely faithful. You know what? He's debt-free, and he's one of the most generous people I know. He supports missionaries, gives to the church. He loves people. He loves his neighbors and his coworkers. And what's cool is everyone around him is always coming to faith in Jesus. Why? The kingdom of God showed up in his life, not a religion. See, Jesus's kingdom is so different than religion and the kingdoms of the world. Jesus said his kingdom is like this small, unassuming, weak seed, and it has to be buried in weakness, and it dies. But then when it dies, it comes up, and it has this power and immeasurable potential to radically not just transform your life, but this city and entire civilizations. Think about the power of an acorn. It seems unassuming. It seems small. It seems weak. But if you plant it, it can become a giant oak tree that can drop thousands of seeds throughout its lifespan. And all of those acorns can become trees that multiply and produce thousands. And what you can get are oak trees that would cover an entire continent with millions of pounds of lumber. And guys, this is what the gospel is doing today. I have a friend who's a missionary in Nepal, and he said 10 years ago, there might have been like five to 10,000 Christians. And he just showed me this video of 50,000 Christians coming together, and it's now estimated that there are 3 million Christians in Nepal. God's kingdom is still on the move. I want you guys to think about the kingdoms of the world and why this message of God's kingdom was so radical to these people. What does history show? What makes a good earthly kingdom? 
It's not about how well you listen. It's about how well you speak, right? That's why we have presidential debates. And when you look at great, uh, maybe they weren't great, but powerful leaders of the past, like Alexander the Great, or Napoleon, or Adolf Hitler, or Mussolini, even our presidential debates, these leaders usually gain traction through their speaking, not they're listening, right? They try to get people riled up, get them on their side, and then they're like ready to go and destroy the other kingdom, right? But look what Jesus said here. He said, my kingdom, the most powerful kingdom in all the universe, it comes by listening. And you might be like, listening? How can that be? And I love what Napoleon discovered as an empire, as his empire rose and crumbled, just like every empire, just like every business, just like every sports team. Uh, There's going to be a rise and fall, but he said this about Christianity. He said, Alexander, Charlemagne, the king, and myself all tried to found an empire on force, and we failed. Jesus Christ is building an empire on love, and today there are millions of people who would gladly die for his sake. And so here's why Jesus' kingdom is superior. It's the secret power of the seed. It's the power of salvation, Paul the Apostle said. It's the power of the Bible, the word and the gospel message. See, God's kingdom moves through hearing and receiving the message of the gospel. See, Jesus said his disciples could carry swords. They're like, hey, we got two, Jesus. Is that okay? And he said, yeah, that's enough. And I think what Jesus meant is, yeah, it's okay to have have a sword. But guess what? These swords are not going to conquer somebody else's heart. And guys, the longer I'm around, I see that only God's kingdom can really change a life, a family, a nation. I was just talking to this old couple in Fort Collins that actually supports our church financially, and they're so excited to give to this church plant. And they said, yeah, we're, they're, they're in their 60s now. And they're like, honestly, this is the best thing we could ever invest our money in. Everything else doesn't last. Nothing else we invest in is really going to change someone's life. But they said, we love what you guys are doing in Greeley. It has the power to restore lives and bring new lives. So the purpose of the parables is to gain citizenship into this powerful kingdom. And we enter by listening, not by force. And so the next question that we're going to look at is, what kind of listener are you? I think that's what this parable is getting at. Do you listen with a hard heart? with a shallow heart, with a divided heart, or do you listen with a heart of depth? All right, so let's uh, look at Luke 8, 11 through 15. It says this. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the one on the rock, those are... are, uh, When they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in a time of testing and trials and pain and tribulation, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. 
Okay, I want you guys to notice Jesus preaches to this large crowd. Think of thousands of people hearing this message. And all these people are probably showing up because they want a king and a kingdom who will destroy the Romans, this other kingdom. And so they hear this message and they're like, this is literally what I showed up for? This is the dumbest thing ever. This can't be the Messiah. This can't be the king. I was looking for a violent warrior, not some suffering servant who would die for my sins. And so they said, this is dumb, and they walked away. See, they thought the sword was more powerful than the seed, and they missed it. But some of them hear, and they want to understand. They want clarity, and they're curious, and so they seek out Jesus. See, think of the parables like this giant filter that filters people with intrinsic faith and people with extrinsic faith. I'm going to explain these two kinds of faiths. This idea came from a famous Harvard psychologist by the name of Gordon Allport. And he said this, he said, extrinsic faith is serving God for what you can get. It's serving God for what he can do for you. It's serving God to get things. But intrinsic faith, he says, is serving God to get God. It's serving God for his own sake. So basically, through these parables, Jesus splits up these two kinds of people, those who really want Jesus and those who only want Jesus to give them things, those with extrinsic faith. So three out of the four soils, I would say, don't listen. And they reject the power of this new kingdom. See, the first one uh, doesn't let it in at all. It has a hard heart. The second one's excited about Jesus, but I think they really only just want good times, right? They want Jesus to meet all their needs. Uh, This third group, they might actually be a Christian. They're concerned about Jesus, but they're equally concerned about what the world thinks, and they're choked, and they have a divided heart. See, the gospel of the kingdom says this, I want to come and free you from your selfishness. That's the path of life and freedom. And this is why the cross is offensive. We want to be selfish. We don't want to be freed from our selfishness. See, Jesus says, bow to me, the king, and I'll free you of your selfishness. See, the fourth soil, though, understands what Jesus says. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 12. He said this, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. See, for a seed to germinate and transform, to go from this little simple seed to a more complex, higher level being, the first thing it must do is die. And Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to die, lose it, and put me first. But if you'll do that, you'll go from a seed, a lower life form, to this complex being, this higher order of life. You must make Jesus your king to enter into his kingdom. You must die to yourself and make him king. And can I just say this? This is hard, but hear me out. As good as you are, you make a terrible king. You all make terrible kings. I make a terrible king. You guys make terrible kings. And the reason why is we have sin, and sin leads to selfishness. Jesus is the only one who's not selfish, who puts us first and serves us and sacrifices his life He's the only sinful one. And the truth is we all need a good king, a king who has our best interests in mind. 
So we're going to look at these three soils, four soils in detail. And really what we're going to see is it's sin and lies and ultimately the refusal to listen that leads them from not having a fruitful life. When I think about my own marriage, I'd say 99% of my problems are because I don't listen very well, right? And maybe you can relate. I'm not good at listening. I'm trying. I'm growing. But it's hard. So I want you guys to listen this morning uh, so we can have a fruitful life. All right, so let's look at the first example. It's the seed that fell on the hard path. But the birds come, and they snatched it right away. And Jesus says this is the devil. What else does Jesus say about Satan? He says that Satan is the father of lies. What's the lie? Every single lie that Satan shares with us gravitates around this lie that God is a killjoy. If you want to have a boring life, put Jesus first. There's no way putting him first would make you more joyful. Put yourself first. Just do you. That's the path to life. And so when people hear this message, immediately it's so offensive to them because they're so selfish and they believe the lie that Jesus is a killjoy. If I follow him and his laws, that's not going to lead to a better life. This is so dumb. Jesus, King, really? And so church, we must pray that our heart is not hard, that the hearts of the people in Greeley and UNC are not hard. And we should always be able to say this. When someone prevents present something to you, say, I should probably hear this out. Why? There's a good chance I'm wrong. You know what sin says? I'm never wrong. That's the problem with our culture. We're know-it-alls, right? We read something on the internet when we were sitting in the bathroom, and then we think we're experts, right? We're like, how dare you tell me what's right and wrong? I'm the expert, right? I got the internet. Sit on the toilet and read it, and I'm a genius, and I'm an expert, right? And it's not true. We need to always say, There's a good chance I'm wrong. I want to hear you out. I want to seek understanding. So pray for a soft heart, not just for you, but for this city. And second, the kingdom message comes to this rocky soil. Uh, They believe it with great joy, but look what happens. It says they don't have depth. And when hard times come, they walk away from church and God. It's kind of funny, like we see these deconstructing stories all over the internet and we're just shocked, right? We're like, oh, that Christian musician, he walked away from the faith. And we're like, honestly, doesn't surprise me. His music was shallow, right? Um, And the scriptures right here say that a lot of people are going to walk away from Jesus when things get tough. So see, one of the biggest dangers are Christians who are not rooted in the word of God. See, when trials come, when troubles come, when pain comes, they don't understand. They get confused because their life's not rooted in God's word. And they say, I didn't sign up for this. I thought when I came to Jesus, all my problems were going to go away. What's going on here? Christianity, I tried it and it didn't work for me. I recently heard from a Christian who was going through terrible trials, health problems, family problems, financial problems. And instead of digging into God's word, instead of digging into Christian community, he isolated his family. They ran away from God. They ran away from church. And you know what's so heartbreaking? There's no fruit in their life. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no love in their family. And I think this happened because as the leader of the family, his theology was not rooted in the word of God. 
And this second soil reveals this about people. People can have an emotional experience, but they still don't understand and they still don't listen. So church, emotional experiences are great, but don't let that be your theology. See, many people think they're entering God's kingdom, but really they're just trying to get God to fulfill their personal agenda. See, so many want Jesus to give them relief or give them success. And I think they don't really want Jesus as a king. They want like a sugar daddy or a genie, right? They don't want a king. And see, many will only follow Jesus as long as he provides services. But if those services are no longer provided, they bail. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. And so church, hear me out. When the heat comes in this story and things in their lives start to burn up, they run away. I don't know what burned up in their life. Maybe it was their health, their money, their status, their success, and their image. But church, we shouldn't leave Christ when things get hot. We should run to him and be near him. And then we find in those moments that God is better than anything the world has to offer. And he has the power to restore anything he wants. But we find that he's good in the moments of testing. See, it says trials are like tests. They reveal our heart. They reveal if our faith is actually real. I'm going to share just two examples of two trials that my wife and I went through and how we were tempted to leave church and to leave God. When we first got married, the first thing we wanted to start doing is try to have kids. And it took a while for us to get pregnant. So we got the pregnancy test. We were so excited. We told all of our friends, I don't know, we probably shared it on Facebook. And then we go to the doctor's appointment and the doctor's like, yeah, this doesn't look good. It's like a 90% chance you're going to have a miscarriage. And we were crushed. I still, I'll never forget that. And I called all my friends and my friends were like, dude, just pray, just have faith. Everything could turn around. It could be okay. And we went back and he's like, yeah, it's going to be a miscarriage. And we had a miscarriage. And I still remember this moment, walking down this dirt path on this uh, ranch that my wife and I lived at, out of town. And I just cried out to God, God, you could have answered my prayer. You had the power to stop this and you didn't. And I was mad and I was angry. But in that moment, I bowed my knee and just said, God, I don't understand why you did this, but I trust you and I love you. And in that moment, I felt God's presence so near to me that instead of destroying us, God brought us growth. He brought us into his family and we experienced him like never before. And this trial actually made us more like Christ. And that's what trials can do to you. If you run to God and you run to his family when the heat comes. Another time, it was about a few years after that, we were in this church, and there was a great pastor at this church, but when he got angry, he would do really hurtful things. And he actually cussed us out using like the F word, yelling and cursing at us. A guy leading a church, right? And then you'd have to hear this guy preach on a Sunday. We had so much church hurt. We gossiped about this guy. Guys, I, I almost gave up on church. I was like, these pastors are all hypocrites. I'm so hurt by the church. The church is so dumb. It's probably just a made-up institution. We should just read the Bible at home, right? That's, that's where I was going, and that's how hurt I was. But in those moments, my wife and I pressed into God's word. We pressed into Christian community, and we found, no, God made the church for hurting people to find love and joy. And yes, people are imperfect, but as we pressed into Christian community, we experienced so much comfort and so much life. And so church, when trials come, don't run away from God and his people. 
Dive into prayer. Dive into the word. Dive into Christian community. You don't know what God's going to do with your life, what he's going to restore. And the best promise is he, he will be with you in the hard times. All right, so moving on. Let's look at the third soil that Jesus talks about. He says the seed comes and it grows, but it's choked out by the thorns, thistles, and the weeds. And it makes the fruit immature. Uh, It's interesting reading commentators' uh, opinions on this. They debate if this person is really a Christian because they have a divided heart. So we don't really know. And with a divided heart, honestly, it's hard to tell if they're in God's kingdom or not. There seems to be this love and commitment for Jesus, but their roots don't go deeper than the roots of the world. See, meaning their love and devotion to things of the world is equal to their love and devotion to Christ. And so their fruit is immature. Have you guys ever bit into an immature fruit and just like the shocking taste that you get, right? Uh, You like get an apple and you're like, all right, that looks so good. And then you take a bite and it's so sour and you're like, ooh, not ready, right? Immature. Like if you're having a, a Denver... Nuggets watch party tonight. Imagine if you're like, hey guys, come over tonight. It's going to be a great time. I have sour fruit. It's going to be so good. Just come over tonight. Like nobody wants sour fruit, right? Uh, It doesn't do anyone any good. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. A divided heart doesn't bring any blessing to the world. It's sour. It's sour to your friends, sour to your marriage, sour to your family, sour to your workplace. And honestly, of all the soils, guys, this one terrifies me the most. I had to spend a lot of time in prayer saying, God, am I the one with the divided heart? Just a confession, Drake got asked to preach in Fort Collins. And uh, the first thing I asked him, dude, are they going to pay you when you go preach there? And I, I just was convicted right there. Like, who cares if you get paid to preach the gospel? So anyways, confession, it's so easy in this world to think that more money can make you happy, right? Things are expensive, and we think that more money will make us happy. But guess what? It won't. It could just make you sour, right? And I think what's terrifying about this is the cares, riches, and pleasures of the world are not in and of themselves bad. But when we prioritize them and our hearts are rooted in them, it will make us sour, This is hard, guys. Think about some of the best gifts in life. Things like sex, sports, money, or alcohol. All tremendous gifts, but it's like we can't handle them. We use sex in a way we shouldn't. We believe the lie that more money can make us happy. That alcohol is what will give us peace and confidence. And we have so many cares about our body image, our diet, retirement, our kids' education, our kids' sports career. And we just never know what is enough. And we should care about these things. But if our life is rooted in them, you're going to become sour. And here's the reality. In every heart and in every garden, because we live in a cursed world, there will be weeds and thorns and thistles. But the question for us, Salt Church, is what will you do with them? What are you going to do with the weeds in your life? Now, there's a couple of different ways you could take this message from here. How do we get rid of the weeds? But when you look at church history, John was even just telling me about this documentary about the Dutton family 
a Duggar family, sorry. The Duttons is a different TV show, right? <laughs> Honestly, they could use this message too. But, um, but yeah, I think there's two counterfeit teachings that we can see the early church dealing with when it comes to false teachings. There were the ascetes and there were the Nicolaitans. Think of them uh, on the end of the opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, the ascetes would look at uh, the weeds in your life and said, if you want to be a real Christian and bear fruit, you just need to be really, really strict. No music, no fashion, no sports, no junk food, no movies, no TV, no dancing, no art. And they think that severity to the body and harsh diets are what's going to lead to fruit. And I would say they're partially right. But what happens when you are the one responsible for weeding everything out of the garden? You get pride, right? You look at someone else and say, man, I haven't watched TV in a month. I haven't touched a carb in a month. Look at those sinners over there eating Lucky Charms and watching Yellowstone. Sinners, they're probably not even Christians, right? And they're sour. If you follow asceticism, you will be sour. Nobody wants uh, one of these people at your house. They're so judgmental. They're sour. Why? Because they're not there to serve you and love you sacrificially. They're there to judge you. And it's so easy to go down this path as a Christian. And so Paul rightly rebuked these people. I love what he said. He said, eating and drinking has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It's kind of a shocking statement, right? Really, God? Nothing? And he said, severity to your body will not stop sin. But you know what will? A new heart, a new kingdom. Yes, self-control is so important. Spiritual disciplines are so important, but they won't save you. They won't give you the right heart motivation. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. It's not justified by self-control. And the second counterfeit on the other end of the spectrum was that of the Nicolaitans. And they were like the Greek Epicureans. They said, hey, just do whatever you want. Do what feels best. Indulge in pleasure. Man, you're free in Christ. You can have seven beers a day. It's okay. And they're like, it's just a craft beer hobby, Keith. It's okay. And I'm like, honestly, bro, I think you're an alcoholic. Like, that's a lot of beer every day, right? And it looks like they're joyful because they're having all this fun, but their life is sour. They're divided. They care more about the world and riches than the kingdom. They don't care about lost souls. I've seen so many Christians, sadly, start out on fire for God, and then they make a little bit of money, they get a nice career, and over time, it seems they care more about making money and getting that promotion and retirement than going to church, sharing the gospel, supporting missionaries overseas in the 1040 window, and there's no fire in them. They're sour, and it's sad because they're living a choked life. Uh, Bill Payton recently shared this stat with me that said 97% of Christians don't ever share their faith. Isn't that crazy? 97%. And right here it's saying sowing God's seed is what enters people into the kingdom, that people would listen to our message. But 97% of us don't even share that. Why? I think it's the cares, riches, pleasures of the world. Well, they might not like me. I might hurt their feelings. I don't know, like their family. And what if I share it and they just don't like me anymore? I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's so hard, guys. But we need to lovingly share the gospel. So those are the counterfeits. 
the Ascetes, and the Nicolaitans. How do we then remove weeds and a balanced life and bear fruit? Well, last month I made two observations. I was in two backyards. I was in a backyard in Fort Collins and uh, one in Greeley. Now, the one in Greeley, it was full of fruit. There were strawberries growing. Little kids were running around picking them. There were no weeds to step on that would hurt your feet. And they were laughing and having a good time. And the reason that this backyard was fruitful is because it had the tender care of my wife, the gardener, who loved spending time there. Uh, This backyard in Fort Collins, they were both working full-time. They had no time for gardening. And when you went in that backyard, guys, there were thistles and weeds like this tall that made those cactuses in Arizona look like JV. And I had my chacos on, and I was like, if I step on one of these, I might have to amputate my feet. Like, those things were so gnarly. It was brutal. And so what's the difference between these two gardens? One has hours of tender care from the gardener, as my wife continually pulls weeds. And she doesn't just snip them from the top. It's a deep pulling. It's like this heart work. That's what weeding is. It goes deep into your heart and creates deep change in your heart. And what's interesting when you study soils and weeds, you guys know that weeds not only choke out plants, they also release poison into the soil, so it will literally kill everything around it. And so when you leave these weeds in your life as a Christian, it will literally begin to kill everything around you. You have to constantly remove them. And so like a healthy garden, the first thing Christians need to do is recognize the weeds in your heart. Recognize the weeds in your life. You should be able to see them Name them, identify them, share them with friends. Guys, I have a friend, uh, I'm a favorite on my phone, and even if I have temptation to sin, I call him up. And I said, dude, I see this weed in my heart. I feel like it's sprouting up, but I need to put some light on it. Will you help me pull this out so it doesn't destroy my life? I don't want my life to be sour. I don't want to be sour to my wife or my kids or my neighborhood. I want to be a blessing to them. And so I identify the the weeds right away. And so what does this partnership with the gardener look like for us? And I think, first of all, it looks like quality time. I shared that my wife spends hours in the garden, loves it, and it's so fruitful. Now, the salads we get, the strawberries we get, it's healthy, it's good. I just read through the book of Genesis, and it said, Abraham worshiped the Lord. I thought about that. What did he do? But it gets me excited to go spend time with God Sometimes I'll wake up early and just go get away with God and I'll worship him and I'll read his word and I'll put some music on and I'll bow my knees and God's presence will come into my life and I just worship him. And you know what I find in that moment? He's so much better than all the cares, riches, and pleasures of the world that I'm able to let go of them. And I say, God, take these things. You're so much better. You're the only one who can satisfy my heart. Riches can't satisfy my heart. Pleasures can't satisfy my heart. Money can't satisfy my heart. Only King Jesus can satisfy your heart. And an interesting observation about good soil is this. My wife said, as we were making these garden beds and putting different soil in, you can't just put dirt in to start a garden, right? You need to have this, like, garden dirt. And my wife said, you know what makes good soil? There's organic matter. There's literally dead things in the soil. And you might say, how do dead things make living things? 
That doesn't make any sense. But here's the truth. Hear me out. To make our soil good, we have to die to our own agenda, bow the knee, and make Jesus king. That's the first step. That's going to make a good soil. And this is painful. It's a death, Jesus says, but there's new life in it. I promise you. To make our soil good, we may have to die to our dreams and put our spouse first. It means maybe you have to die to that new car that looks cool and support a missionary in India or Taiwan. Maybe it means you die to that promotion because you're going to have to work so much, you're going to have to leave your family and you're going to have to miss church on Sunday. But you obey the Lord and you put him first no matter what. And guys, it's painful, but it leads to a resurrected life. See, the path to a fruitful Christian life, it's often a thousand deaths that leads to a better life, a resurrected life. So church, we get to enjoy the cares, riches of the world, but we know they're temporary and we don't put our roots in them. And here's the promise that I have for you with the gospel. No matter how many weeds in your soil, no matter how terrible your garden is in your heart, there's hope. There's redemption. And here's why. When Jesus came, he didn't put on a crown of gold and diamonds. He went low. And it says they put on him a crown of thorns. And they smashed it into his brow and his head. And blood flowed freely over his face. Do you guys know that curses and weeds and thorns and thistles are a result of our bad decisions? But Jesus says, I'll pay for it. I'll take all those curses on the cross for you. And then it says he was buried. And there's this fascinating verse that says he went down into death and he took the keys. He took the keys of death and he began the keys of the kingdom where he said, now I have authority over everything. That thorn in your life, that anger, God has the power to remove it. That thorn in your life of lust, God has the power to remove it. That thorn in your life of bad financial decisions, God has the power to remove it. That thorn in your life that's fear that keeps you from sharing the gospel, God can remove it. He is the master gardener, and he will make you a blessing, not a curse, if you are patient and you hold fast with a good heart. And I'm going to end just with one final story of a friend of how the gospel invaded his life and just even changed how he treated people around him. It's a story of my friend who went to McDonald's. And he went to McDonald's because you get your food fast, right? You don't go there for quality. But have you guys ever waited in line at a drive-thru or McDonald's for over 30 minutes? And you're like, what is going on? Why is this taking so long? So my friend had been there over a half hour. He's waiting in line, and he gets about halfway there, and he's thinking, man, I wasted my day. What a waste of my time. And as he gets closer, he notices the lady at the cash register. She hardly speaks English. She's like an immigrant, and he's like, oh my gosh, McDonald's, are you so dumb that you don't even have a vetting process that people should speak English when they work at McDonald's? And he's in line, and he's just fuming, but he's been rooted in God's word. And he actually read the Bible that morning, and the Bible said you should care for refugees, for widows, for orphans. And the Bible also says, and you at one time were a refugee. You were an orphan, and you didn't deserve to get brought into God's family, but he loved you. And in that moment, the gospel hit him, and he was so convicted and so overwhelmed by love that when he got 
to the line, he was like, I just love you so much. I, what's your name? Can I give you, can you give a tip at McDonald's? I don't know, but I love you. And his heart was just exploding with love and joy. And if we're rooted in God's word, church, we endure the trials. God's kingdom will come in your life and it will be a blessing to this city and to this campus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your parables. Lord, we want them to touch our heart. And Lord, as we look at these soils today, Lord, our prayer is that we wouldn't be shallow, we wouldn't be hard-hearted, we wouldn't be divided. Lord, but we would be a heart that goes through the process of death and life over and over, that this gospel news would never get old, Lord, but it would give us a new heart and a new life. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.